This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swing high from the ball! to right center! And the Braves have won it! There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. A walk-off homer from Freeman, and the Braves win it! He is! Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast, Atlanta Braves digital media content manager, alongside uh, Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael, coming to you live from our new home in the 1957 conference room at Truist Park. Uh, we're starting to get comfortable here. I like this. This mm-hmm. room is perfect for us. Yeah, so me too. We're enjoying it. Uh, Fun guest today, uh, super nice guy. You can tell right off the bat. You know, you just get that feeling. Like I know you know him already. Today is the first time I've met him, but you can. I trust my intuition on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, this is just a nice guy. Uh, Keith Lockhart played, well, I believe, six seasons with the Braves. Maybe was it seven? Six. Eight, six. Six okay. seasons. Six seasons. Spent a decade in the big leagues. We touch on this, and he talks about how he made his debut at age twenty-nine. Uh, went on to spend a decade in the big leagues. That's. As I said to him in the interview, I think that was my favorite thing in looking up his stats and everything was not the stats, but that he, you know, a lot of guys, if they get called up that late, they maybe get a cup of coffee, maybe hang around a year or two. I mean, we've seen it and there's no shame in that, but to make it that late and then establish yourself for 10 years, that Mm -hmm. speaks a lot to him and uh, what he brought to the table. Um, uh, but really, really fun, and uh, and I'm going to go ahead and say it now, like the that I didn't do this research on my own. You you did alert me to the fact that Keith's <laughs> first big league big league hit was off of you, which I'm glad you brought that up so that I could then ask him about mm-hmm. it. Um, but Keith, uh, I, I, he's really quite a career, and we talk a lot about his post playing career as a scout for the Cubs. Um, really, really interesting guy. Just a, I guess the first thing I was thinking of listening to him talk is he's, he's just a he's a baseball man. A, Mm-hmm. A baseball lifer. Um, so you and him obviously go back. I mean, yeah, he got his first hit off of you back in '94, but you and him go back quite a long ways. Yeah, and I like um, I like Keith a lot. He's good people, and um, we didn't get to do a lot of things together because he went right into scouting, and so he was on the road a lot. But you knew that um, you can always tell the guys. Uh, and I brought up I brought up Mike Mordecai, but. A lot of times you see this with backup catchers. You see it with bench players. They really are students of the game. And I think that served him well because um, you really don't have anything to do. You're waiting to pl- to perform. It's kind of like a relief pitcher. You're waiting to perform. So you can either just kind of let your mind just idle and, and just kind of, you know, lose track of what's going on, or you can study the game. And it seems like the guys who were the successful bench players, successful backup catcher that they were studying in the game and I think that's why I went on to to be successful in scouting and and have a 
good career doing that because he learned the game and he knew what it take you know what it would take to to be successful because you know and we talk about with kids when you're trying to decide and project is this kid going to be a good player or not you know you can look at the talent but there's those intangibles that you can't easily see that you got to decide whether it's going to make them you know uh, have a long career or not and you know he talks a little bit about that but you see that in Keith and how he approached the game and I will point out I mean he was a lifetime 261 average for being a bench player that's incredible because it is not hard. I mean, you look at what Sandoval's doing this year. Yes, he has four home runs, but he's batting about 220, 230 because it's really difficult to come off the bench and get one at bat a game, if that. So for you to be a 260 hitter and do that for a career means you're probably really a 275, 280 hitter. Mm-hmm. So um, he he could hit the ball. He did really well. and But he, he found his role, and um, he was successful at it. And that's why he says yeah, he played 10 years in the big leagues. Yeah. Well, look, we won't beat around the bush here. Let's get right into it. Great conversation with him. Here he is, former Braves uh, utility man, Keith Lockhart. Well, Keith, hey, uh, appreciate you coming on Behind the Braves. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Yeah, we just finished up an event with Truist, uh, which was fun. Me, you, and Marquise and Charlie Liebrandt. We got to we did a little Q and A for um, for the people there, which was good to talk about times we haven't seen each other a lot because you've been working. You yes. were working. How, how many years did you scout? I scouted with the Cubs for about ten years. I went through ten drafts. Wow. So this will be my first draft, not as a scout. So I'm kind of, it's it's still interesting because a lot of the kids I scouted, you get such a head start on most of them. So um, to watch things develop the last couple of days, and yeah, they'll finish today. Um, they got ten more rounds today. So yeah, I was so proud of um, just knowing we had guys like yourself and Milt Hill and um, you know and Ralph Gar and yeah. and Fred helps Fred McGriff helps with scouting and um, we had a bunch of guys. I think there's some other guys I know I'm missing, but. Um, but did you come across any of the other alumni while you were scouting? Or are you guys? I know you guys pretty pretty solitary life scouting, but yet yeah. you're getting together at games with other other scouts. Yeah, I mean some of the bigger events, SEC tournament. You know, Fred would always be there. Mm. Um, lately, I think the last um, Blessed Trinity, I watched them and got to see Blouser and Andrew. Both their kids mm. play there. Um, so come across Walt Weiss back in the day when he had a, a son playing. He was a high school coach yeah before he yeah, went right to the yeah. big leagues right yeah but some of the bigger events you see you know you get to the age now where you know guys that we play with they got kids that are in that high school or college mm-hmm. age so yeah it's always that was a fun part always great to see those guys so tell us some of the guys that you scouted or maybe even drafted that are there any of them in the big leagues right now uh yeah drafted um dylan cease um, he was a high school kid that probably would have been a first rounder, but he um, he hurt his elbow early in the in the spring. It was thirty seven degrees. I was actually at the game. He kind of felt something in his elbow, but um, anyway, he he fell about the sixth round, and he's uh, he's with the Cubs. But then they tra- he was in a trade to go to the White Sox. So mm. I think he's like their number three starter right now for him. Uh, another one, Dwayne Underwood, out of Pope High School. He's actually with the Pirates now, uh, pitches out of the bullpen. 
So a couple guys still hanging around. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's always been fascinating to me because scouts played such an integral part of my career, not just because I got drafted by it, but specifically Roy Clark, who not only drafted me, and we've probably talked about this on um, the podcast for, but there was a point in time where I got released from Cleveland and Roy was now with the Braves and he signed me as a free agent wow. as, you know, as for the Braves. And then, so not only that did I owe to him, but then there was a point in my, in my career where my knee was so bad and I was coming off surgery that I was going to retire and I didn't think I was going to make it. And Roy showed up at Durham um, to encourage me. Not, and he knew that I was struggling and I was just getting my butt handed to me. You know, I'd been in AAA the year before I'm back in a ball and he's encouraging me not to quit. And within a year and a half, I was uh, literally two years to the day. I was the closer of the Atlanta Braves. Wow. So I owe a lot to the scouts. You guys do so many things. You follow guys, you put your heart and soul into it and, and it's uh, you guys are such the unsung heroes of what you know the baseball world because you don't get a lot of no you know notoriety from it um but it's just it's been such an important part of, was was important part of my career that i'm always talking about that just what roy did for me and um so i'm sure you have a lot of stories like that of guys that just you know you were you were there and encouraged them giving them a chance to play then maybe when some other guys didn't get given yeah one. i think you yeah, i think you put in so much time to a, a big block of players and you know the draft is is you know you don't always get the player you want you know sometimes they go before you after your team just decided on something else but you build these relationships and a lot of times it's kids that are on a different team or organization that you work for but you know you stay in touch and and like you said sometimes those guys become free agents or they get released and and you, you remember how they were and they, mm. you know they still got some stuff so it's nice to be able to help them out make phone calls but um yeah you you know nowadays at least with the cubs i mean it starts you know when they're kind of in their junior year and you know we had such an extensive background reporting with the cubs that you know it forced you to spend time with the parents spend time with the kid being in their home their family so you know by the time the draft comes you know everything about them and <laughs> you know you're talking we had to you had to have, to have certain references you know travel ball coaches high school coaches just to try to the hardest thing is i think the talent evaluation is probably the easiest but the uh the makeup and the character mm-hmm. and the background is it's the most difficult thing to get because um, you're trying to find the the honest opinion that you know you're not going to get from a parent so you, you're trying to get it from maybe not necessarily a high school coach but maybe a, an opponent you know to try mm-hmm. to gauge like what is this kid really like because you know kids can't fool kids just like when we were in the clubhouse you know <laughs> you knew the guys that you know when no one was looking were working hard and there's also kids that just as soon as the boss was around they're gonna like you know do extra so um you can't fool your peers so you're trying to find you know who these kids and what they're made up about is, is a little bit tough. You're kind of a private investigator oh, yeah. at some point. <laughs> I imagine. You know, but that's the most, I think that's the, you know, the biggest part of, you know, how come some guys are so talented, make it, and some don't? Like there's, mm. you know, they've done studies on first-round picks where teams have given players a ton of money. And it's like, why do some become the superstar that you hope for and others don't? It's, it's a lot of it's the character and the makeup. Makes a lot of sense. It sure does. I, I've uh, Folks that have listened to our show for the last three years have heard me talk many times about how I became a baseball fan. Early 90s Braves. I was about eight years old. The 91 team happened. 
and that that caused me to become a big Braves fan. So when I was first getting into baseball as a kid. Um, my dad was involved in NASCAR, so I would get to travel with him a lot. And we were at a race in Bristol, Tennessee, and we befriend, befriended a guy who was at that time a scout for the athletics. And he would bring his son with him to the track, and we would come to the races when we would be in Bristol twice a year. And I was just so fascinated with the guy because I was just a kid just getting into baseball and hearing him talk about like uh, scouting whoever it was, the athletics, when there was a trade for Ruben Sierra, and then who went back and forth. And I was just so fascinated with it, but I also took note of the fact that he brought his son to the racetrack because that was a he maybe only saw his son mm. once or twice a month and he was just gone all the time scouting and I've always been taken with just the, that lifestyle and how dedicated you have to be how did you decide or that transition from when you retired from the big leagues as a player how did that come about how did you decide that was the path you wanted to go down because that's that is a dedicated yeah, life that's a good question it was you know I when I retired I my oldest was still in high school, so I started helping coach travel ball, um, coach at the high school level. Um, and so I got to know some scouts, and there was a player, uh, Tim Hires, who was a scout with the Boston Red Sox. We played together in San Diego, so, you know, he'd come to a game, and we'd talk hitting all the time. It was just we had a good connection, and, and so when my – you know, I was done coaching high school. He said, hey, you know, are you interested in scouting at all? I'm like, well, I'm kind of searching for something else. And he goes, the Cubs just let go of their area scout. It's actually Marquise's brother, Antonio. <laughs> and it was right before this big tournament down in Florida, um, the Jupiter tournament. And so, yeah, I went down there and I, he introduced me to the scouting director and um, I inter- kind of interviewed with their national guy. They were kind of filling me out and and uh, yeah, they had an opening, and um, you know they just said if I wanted to do it, and they were kind of like, they sort of described it, you know. Um, and Sam Hughes, who interviewed me, he goes, just take a couple days, like talk to some of your buddies, you know, find out the good, the bad, and the ugly about scouting, and if you still want to do it. And uh, so I talked to Milt Hill, and <laughs> and uh, and they just. You know, the guys I talked to said it's it's a great job. I mean, this is kind of pre-analytic stuff, whoever. So um, I knew I was going to have to be gone a little bit. But Georgia is such a hotbed for high school kids and sports that you know my travel wasn't wasn't too bad. Um, I think as you as you sort of move up the ranks in scouting, or if you are any good at it, you know they always want you to see better players, which meant you know you have to kind of travel, um, which is it's always nice to see guys that you know are going to go in the top three rounds because you're not really deciding hey, can he play or not it's more of you're just ranking them you know from one to 30 on, on where you take them so um it was fun but yeah you do it, we i mean i wasn't like this but a lot of the scouts from different organizations i mean it was nothing to have 120 to 150 nights in a in a marriott hotel <laughs> so yeah. you get a lot of you get a lot of marriott points you know <laughs> yeah. so you, you take family vacations but yeah, it's uh, you know, you do a lot of a lot of driving. I would put 40,000 on my car every year. Right. Well, I, we want to get into your career by one more question about scouting. What has been the most fulfilling part of it for you? Um, you know, honestly, it's, you know, I've I've signed kids where I've given them a million dollars and I've signed kids where I've given them $1,000 and and I've had a couple um where I've signed and, you know, given them a minimal amount of money and, and you felt like you gave them just $10 million. And mm. even drafting and Birdie's kid, we drafted him out of Clemson and, you know, just 
giving somebody a chance, you know, because I was the same way. I was a senior sign, and um, I always I came from a different angle than maybe their scouts that were first round picks. And but to give a kid an opportunity, and you know that that's all they wanted, and you know they just take it and run with it. That was it's pretty pretty neat to go in their house and and sign them and and be with their family and it's just like it's the best feeling in the world that's great yeah that's that's a lot of fun and there was a bird dog scout named rance plus i don't know if you remember him um he called me one time and i was in high school and he wanted me to come throw for him at some park in east tennessee and i got my catcher to go with me and it was pouring down rain (laughs) and he goes well he goes yeah it's not i go dude i'm throwing i go just let's go (laughs) so we went out there (laughs) i'm throwing on the grass and he writes up his report and the funny thing about that was of course me i didn't care i just you know somebody wanted to see me and was excited about me and um and he was uh i guess he i don't know what organization i guess he was with the braves at that time so you believe it or not, when I got released by the Indians, I go back to the University of Tennessee to watch a game because I figured there'd be some scouts there. And he's sitting there behind on plate. And I went. And I said, "Hey, Rance." I said, "Grab it, Michael. You remember?" Yeah, I remember you. I go. I just got released. What do you think? Um, do you think you could um, put a word in for me or something? He goes. You know what? He goes. I'll do better than that. He goes because you drove two hours to come throw in the rain for me. I'll do whatever I can to get you signed. Wow. And he called. Roy and they signed me with and I had to go throw for Roy and so but you know it's just that he appreciated so much what it took you know he looking for yourself you you see the guys that that want it you see the guys that uh, you know they're looking for character because let's face it once you get to the big leagues or even the minor leagues, there's a big pot of everybody's the same, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. And then there's got to be something that separates you, and that's usually character. It's usually a break. It's usually an injury. There's some little things that, that separate a lot of guys. And um, But anyway, I'll never forget that. And, and I, do, I did want to ask you one thing back on scouting. So when I was in – and Ricky, I've told Ricky my story that there was a scout uh, when I was in the eight ball trying to make a comeback, there was a scout that told one of our starting pitchers, you remember, because they'd always go up in the stands mm-hmm. and they would chart before the next game. There was a scout up there that said, hey, tell McMichael if he had a change up, he'd be in the big leagues. And I'm thinking, and he came and told me that after the game. I'm like, oh, you know, they're always saying you got to do that. You got to do something different than what you are. But the next day I started working on a changeup. And that's what got me to the big leagues. And I never knew who that was. And I wish I could find out who that guy was. I'd send him a big gift basket or something. (laughs) Take him him out to dinner. But, you know, just scouts, you know, they're they're watching all the time. They're never working with you, but they're observing. And, I mean, minor leagues, I mean, you guys were independent leagues, high school, college um you know just everywhere there's guys looking and observing and evaluating and uh, i've always been fascinated with what the work you did but even after the draft i would have you know at least four pro teams that i'd have to scout Mm -hmm. we have a pro staff but you know they'd always send the the scouts after the draft because there's a little bit of a break and uh yeah you're covering short season up to triple a and i'd cover the atlanta braves as well and and yeah, you t- I tell the kids that I was scouting. Like, even if you get drafted and signed, you still get scouted every game. And there's always people in other organizations. And you know, because if usually if there's a trade at the big league level, 
there's normally three or four minor league players involved in that trade. And, and, and normally it's just not, hey, here's the three players we're putting in the trade. They usually have 10 players, and then you pick the three you want. So mm. the more you've scouted that organization and you know more of the character of these kids, you try to pick the right ones. That was always super fascinating with Sherholtz here with Atlanta because it seemed like every time they made a trade – they got the best players, you know, from organizations and the players they traded away didn't pan out. It's like they used to always kind of say, like, how, how do you know? Like, why are you giving a, you know, but he was just smart. He had people mm-hmm. that were scouting. So, you know, he picked the right players. He believed in this system. Yeah. Well, hey, um, so I want to talk about your career. And, and of course, we were talking a lot about the draft because it just happened. And the Braves have all these new young kids in there. But there's something um, about our team, and we've got some guys that fulfill the role that used to play, which you came off the bench and you were a pinch hitter and you played defense, you know, later in the game. So you think about Adrianza, you think about Camargo, you think about, um, you know, Sandoval. So these guys, we've, we've discussed that this, this is not an easy job. And I've always wondered when we did that to Camargo early on, did we mess him up? Because being a young player that needed to go play, they were expecting him to go play a different position every night, and then he was like a late addition off the bench. How hard is that for a young guy, right, who's just coming up? Um, And then what does it take? Why were you so successful at it? What is the mindset that has to happen for for you to be successful at that position? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, a lot of these kids are – you know, they get to the big leagues, you know, part of what makes them special is their drive, their competitiveness. They're just, you know, they've proven to someone that they belong in the big league. So when a young player gets up here and, and, and maybe their role is not available, you know, and they have them playing different positions and, you know, pinch hitting, it's, it's, it's tough for a young guy, especially if you're backing up a player that's maybe struggling a little bit, you know, and, you know, they don't – it's hard for a younger player to adjust to that role because they want to play every day. They feel like, you know, they're deserving of playing every day. And, you know, I see when guys get called up too soon, it's kind of doing a disservice a little bit because it's – you know, baseball is one of them sports where you just need a batch, you need to play, you need to pitch, you need innings. And, and to take a kid that's got all that kind of bottled up and sit him on the bench or, you know, tell him to play another position – I remember that when I was in AAA, we, I was a second baseman. I felt like I was pretty good, and we made a trade for this kid, Billy Bates. He was a little guy. Out of Texas, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and all he could play was second base. And so he comes over to our team in Nashville, and the coach, um, Pete McCannon, had me moving over, playing third. And I remember I was so mad because I'm like <laughs> – I felt like I was a better second baseman. Mm-hmm. And he had to tell me, he's like, listen – he goes, I know it's tough now. He goes, but you being able to play a third, short, second, or even the outfit, he goes, it's going to lengthen your career. And at the time, I I didn't quite accept it, but I look at how my career panned out, and golly, just the benefit of playing different positions really extended my mm-hmm. career. He was right. But so it's, it's hard for a young kid like Camargo to understand that. Um you know, because they want to shine at one position, but it'll actually help them in the long run. But it's, you know, I think when you look at guys like Sandoval and 
guys coming off the bench, they're relaxed, and he's hitting home runs. I mean, it's just a an easier role to accept and be content with when you get a little bit older mm. um, than it is for a young player. And for me, I was, you know, I didn't get the big least. I was 29. Um, so I was a little bit older guy, and I was always, you know, backing up chipper whoever was playing you know so i'd take ground balls at a bunch of different positions and um but it was it's a little bit easier role to accept as you get older that's what some guys will kind of you know kind of move into that role if they still want to play when they get older well i always felt like that we were brothers because that's what i did yeah i come in at the end of the game i'd sit all game and then i'd pitch in the seventh eighth you know and so it seemed like that that was a very similar role yeah that you had to you had to prepare there was a rhythm to the lack of rhythm yeah if, if that makes sense well bobby was always he was he was always one or two innings ahead of the game you know so you kind of learn that so you start thinking of that process so you you know my job was to to stay loose hitting the you know down in the tunnel a little bit but follow the lineup and you can almost see a couple innings okay Smoltz going to come up here. You can almost see a pinch hit opportunity. Now, they was three or four guys that, you know, Bobby could choose from. But, you know, you, it helped you stay involved in the game. You know, I studied more the relief pitchers and bullpen guys than, than anybody mm-hmm. else. So, yeah, it helped you really kind of follow the game closely and, and be prepared because it was – there wasn't a lot of notice, you know. Every once in a while, you know, Pat Corrales would say possible. You kind of like – knew that there was a possibility you're going to pinch mm-hmm. hit so it just really helped you study game stay ready towards the end of it make sure you had a cup of coffee <laughs> and mike mordecai was another one had a long career for 10 plus years and yeah. he did the same thing that you did exactly and the, he just he was an old soul mm-hmm. i mean i was just talking to morty the other day he's he's coaching high school and he's the athletic director down in, in uh down in dothan but uh, he was like you. I mean, even though we played all through the minor leagues, he just had that maturity where he could handle that. And he did that his whole career, and he made an unbelievable career out of it. But he did yeah. that, you know, he could play everywhere. Yeah. And he could pinch hit, and he could relax, and he just didn't didn't get too worked up about not playing. Yeah, no, it's nice to have guys that you can plug in defensively to three or four positions and, mm. and know, I mean, they can catch a ground ball and throw it across the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? That's when looking up you. Uh, look, I mean, I remember watching you play. But whenever we have a former player on, I always pull up Baseball Reference just to look look at everything, all the stats. And that was the thing that jumped out to me the most was that you made your debut at 29 and still spent a decade in the big leagues. And I think that's, I just think yeah. that's a cool story. And that's the, the perseverance that had to that had to be there is pretty amazing. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. I have to hear about your first hit in the big leagues, <laughs> and what do you remember about that? Were you facing some scrub or what? what who were you facing? Do you remember that? Well, I was with the Padres, and we opened up um, with the Braves. And, in fact, my first two at-bats were against Wollers. And I remember when he threw a fastball. And I mean, I faced guys that threw mid-'90s, but his fastball was just different. <laughs> it was heavy and loud train. and different. And yeah. I think I popped up a couple times. And then the last game we were – we were down a little bit, and I 
like Michael was pitching and he's just finally somebody I can hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was a good at bat. I mean, I was I was down. It was like one two, and it kind of worked him back to three two. And um, he threw a change up, a little bit elevated, and I hit it. It was kind of a line drive, one hop. Lemke dove. It went off his glove and, and tied the game. And that was that was my first hit. It was I, I remember cool. you falling off about three or four pitches too. Yeah. Yeah, it was it most was of your chances battle. were down. It was a good battle. Yeah, I was just he left one up in the zone a little bit. That was my first save appearance of this of '94, and it was pretty telling of what '94 was going to be like <laughs> <laughs> for our whole team and yeah. for me. When when that great, but yeah, I remember that. That yeah. was no, it earned that next battle. day. I got my first major league start uh, against the the Marlins and hit two home runs. That's one awesome. off uh, Weathers and the other one off Rob Nen. Do you still? That dude was funky, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Do you still have the ball from the first hit? I do. Okay. Yeah, I thought about bringing it. Have I sign it. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah. Well, at least I'm glad I I did that for somebody that I like. There so. you go. See, yeah. that's the right way. To yeah. Be. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I got my first hit off somebody, so you know there I didn't get go. them to sign it. I can't even tell you who it was. Oh, I do know. It's like uh, Rene Acosta, the Cuban okay. Cuban born from San Francisco or something. But nice. But uh, yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah, we we couldn't have you on and not ask about that. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, I, I, to, to be fair, I did ask. Told told the whole group we were down there with with Truist. I told them that you know okay. Keith's here. He got his first hit off me, and so. Well, I was telling somebody yesterday. Uh, they said, "Who are you having on the show this week?" I said, oh, "We're having Keith Lockhart," um, and. To me, I mean, I'm a baseball guy, so Keith Lockhart is a bet. That's the only ever heard of Keith Lockhart, the baseball player, play for the Braves back in the day. And he goes, the conductor? Yeah. And I went, what? I'm like, what are you talking about? Symphony and conductor? So Yeah. yeah and really? So, and so how, like, is there any, I don't know, has there ever been some confusion or mix-up or something? Because I... I'll be honest. I had to Google him. I'm like, okay, he's an accomplished conductor, but the name Keith Lockhart only means baseball to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just curious, has that yeah. ever come up in any Boston funny way? Pops, yeah. I mean, you know, in fact, um, when I was with, when I got called up to Kansas City, but there was a there was time when I got called up and he made his debut as uh, he was like the up and coming conductor. He was young. He was kind of like he was sort of changing the landscape of what a conductor is. And and uh, so and we played in Boston a couple of times. And for some reason, I I mean, I've got three home runs in Boston, which is not typical for a left-handed hitter but i hit real well there i would get standing ovations like (laughs) it was kind of interesting the connection and i think we exchanged um i think our team with atlanta they sent him a jersey and you know he sent me a picture i've never been to one of his concerts but usually the fourth of july or new year's when he's doing a big event i'll get texts like i said you still doing your second job you know so (laughs) people will kind of like you know, hey, I just saw you the other day doing. A- <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, the person who, who asked said con- uh, the uh, the conductor is a Boston native, so it makes sense. He was uh. Boston pops. Big- yeah, he's the, pretty famous. Okay. The only other person I got uh, when I go to Chicago, they would yell Mongo at me from Steve McMichael, the, the uh. defensive lineman for the Bears. Okay. That was the only other. McMichael I just get called Ricky Bobby all the time, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's right. all I got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's good. Well, we've had a great time talking with you, Keith. I appreciate you stopping by and um you live here in atlanta we're uh now that you're not working as much uh hopefully you'd be involved more of what we're doing here with the braves but uh we've had a good time catching up with you yeah i've enjoyed it it's been great to kind of get back into 
sort of the Braves family. They mm-hmm. spent so much time here and, and uh, the bulk of my career. So it's been nice. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you Thank, got it. Thanks, Keith. Thanks again to uh, Keith Lockhart for joining us here on Behind the Braves. Um, Keith Lockhart, if I'm not mistaken, Greg, now let me let me pull this up here because I, I don't want to be telling tales out of school. Uh, I'm, don't worry, I'm going to tie this into something here. <laughs> uh, I believe there is some connection between him and – okay, here we go. Yeah, in 2002, he platooned uh, second base with the Braves with Mark DeRosa. Hmm. Uh, following an injury to Marcus Giles. So, uh, this is my not-so-graceful segue into this <laughs> this, uh, this Sunday, uh, Alumni Sunday, coming up at Truist Park. Marcus Giles is going to be one of our, our guests out here. So, him and who else are you going to have out here? Yeah, so Terry Harper, all-star back in the 80s. Um, it's going to be joining him. And so we're going to do something a little different this Sunday. So we're not just doing the Q&A up on stage, but we're also bringing back autographs. So we'll have some baseball cards. If you came to Alumni Weekend, we made these really nice cards. Um, they're sponsored by Ford um, during Alumni Weekend. Well, Hyundai is our sponsor for Alumni Sunday. So we're going to have these nice big baseball cards with the Hyundai um, logo on it with the Braves. And we're going to be signing those. And the guys will be handing those out after, uh, right before we do the Q&A. So it'll be an hour long. So I think we're going to do like 40 minutes of autographs. And then we'll do the 20-minute Q&A. So we're bringing that back now. We're in the post-COVID days. And uh, we, you know, we had to make a little bit of an adjustment. But now we're ready to start back and and um, finish up the year uh, with our guests. And we'll have Terry and, and Marcus sign. So it should be a good time. Marcus is always a lot of fun. He's, uh, he's a, a crowd favorite and we yes, have him down at fantasy camp and the guys love him and he he speaks his mind so <laughs> yeah he was he was definitely uh you had a lot of great personalities my one time i came down to fantasy camp uh last year uh and he definitely stuck out mm-hmm. and i mean that in a great way he was very funny big personality uh just a lot of fun to be around mm-hmm. and self-deprecating and self-deprecating and and i will say when he was a player he was one of my he was one of my own matter of fact on that 2003 team which was just yeah stacked i remember i think he was kind of my favorite player that year just because he, oh, he played hard he played hard just a, a little guy but man he could hit and he was just fun to watch mm, plus he wore number Norwood number 22 and that's there my favorite number so there you, know, you go there you go all right well that's cool so we got marcus and, and terry harper coming mm-hmm. this sunday and we just touched on fantasy camp there but you've got the november edition of fantasy camp that's yep. that's the, the slots are open now correct yeah registration's wide open november 2nd through the 7th i am confirming alumni and uh, should be announcing that here uh, hopefully within a week. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great time. It's going to be the same format as January, but, you know, January sold out. So I wanted to open up another opportunity for our fans uh, to come down and experience Fantasy Camp because I'm, I'm partial, but I know that flat out it's the uh, hands down, it's the number one experience outside of coming and watching us win here at the stadium. But from a VIP experience, hanging out with alumni and just the amount of, amount of time you get to – to hang out and play baseball, uh, fantasy camps number one. So uh, I want everybody to experience it, and hopefully you can start by coming November second through the seventh. Go to Braves.com/slash fantasy camp. Cool. 
Check out everything there, and you can email Greg, greg.mcmichael yeah. at braves.com. If you have any and, questions, yeah. you can and, email Ricky. He's yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I was getting ready to say, I'll just forward it to Greg, but ricky.mast at braves.com, feel free. I'll, 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 I'll tell you something. I don't know what it'll be, but I'll tell you something. Well, hopefully we'll do another uh, podcast down there. That's that's what I think the plan will be. We'll do another. Mm-hmm. That was one of the most fun episodes we've had, and uh, actually one of our high, most highly downloaded episodes, too, I'll say. so. Well, we need to do a few more of those. Well, let's do a few more let's get those ratings up um all right well yeah definitely go check that out uh, on the website or email greg or me if you want for fun uh and we'll do i'll, I'll do the best i can uh but hey no. ricky can you ask greg if- <laughs> yeah sure uh, yeah we'll make a we'll make a day out of it it'll be fun uh all right well thanks to keith lockhart for joining us here on behind the braves uh, and thank you all for listening downloading subscribing spreading the word about us we greatly appreciate it uh for greg mcmichael i'm ricky mast we'll see you next week on behind the braves Hey, Braves country. We just wanted to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe Behind the Braves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or at Braves.com slash Behind the Braves, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Braves. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.